Amen. Well, as we've been talking about here in January, here we are at the start of another year, and there's something about turning that calendar from December to January that kind of makes us stop and evaluate, makes us stop and think, and usually when we do that, we tend to think, boy, if, if this was just different, you know, if I, if, if I just had this, <clears throat> life would be so much better, life would be everything I want it to be, and of course, we're all a little bit different. We, we would all say there, there's something different in our lives that, that would make life everything that we'd want to be. For, for instance, for some of us in here, as we're looking out toward 2012 and this year, boy, we think what would change life would be... Yeah, love, love changes everything, doesn't it? By the way, that's the third time I've done this, the first song, it's, it's just funny to watch everybody go up like that. Uh, there's more, so get ready. <laughs> Yeah, now some of us now, we're not thinking emotional. As we look at the new year, it's not about love. No, no, we need some cold, hard. Yeah, that, that would change the year, wouldn't it? You know, don't we all have a little bit of that tendency to think, boy, that, if I just had that amount of money, it'd change everything. Or, or maybe we want to do something with that money. Maybe we're kind of thinking, boy, it sure would be nice to have a new. Yeah. The home, the family, all there together. Maybe you're not thinking so big, you just like something new to... There we go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, uh, of course, it, we got our youth over here, and we all know what makes uh, a day, a week, anything better for young people. Yeah. Uh, a, a day not at school is a good day, isn't it? I, I, I'm sorry, Kirk, or, or any of our teachers in here. Uh, now, I don't want to leave anybody out. I, I mean, maybe you're thinking today, you know, I need somebody to look up to. I, you know, I need a... Yeah. I, I, that, that should wrap everybody up, shouldn't it? We, we're, all, we're all in there now. Yeah, we all got something different that we think, boy, if I had that, boy, the year would just be what it, it needs to be. You know, have you ever stopped and think, do you know sometimes we get it? You know, there's been times in your life where you thought, boy, if I just had that. Now, not always, but sometimes we actually get it. We, we get that person, we get that thing, that job, that promotion, that, that raise, whatever. We get that thing we think is going to make everything better in life. And yet here we are again thinking it again, aren't we? It doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter how big it is and what you thought this will change everything. It doesn't take much time before we're saying, gosh, if I only had... You know, so folks, there must be something wrong about our strategy here that we're never arriving at that life that will, will make everything right. Maybe we need to go in a new direction. You know, our natural tendency when we're thinking about life being better, we're thinking about life being right, our natural tendency is to go out there into the physical. Our natural tendency is to go outside of us and think if they, if that, if this. And I'm not saying if they, that, and this aren't important. They can be very important. They can be things that have a very big impact on our life. But even when we get those and it changes, we're still stuck thinking, boy, if only. So maybe we need to go a new direction instead of going out to the physical. Maybe we need to go inside. Maybe we need to go into the spiritual. Boy, there's a great guy in the Old Testament, a hero in the Old Testament, David. And I think he really shows us what it looks like to go inside See what's going on in there and what kind of impact that might have on our life, on our year. Let's look at what David shows us. Turn with me this morning to 1 Samuel. 
1 Samuel chapter 13. If you don't have a Bible with you, we've got some in the chairs in front of you. Reach in there and grab one. Or if it's not right in front of you, maybe somebody will hand it to you if you point. But I want everybody to be able to read along and look at what God's Word is saying. 1 Samuel's in the first third of the Old Testament. You'll find it after, oh, what is it? Deuteronomy, Judges, Ruth. Then there'll be 1 Samuel. 2 Samuel, Kings, you've gone too far. That's the neighborhood it's in. Hopefully that'll help you hone in on it. 1 Samuel chapter 13. Uh, We're going to look at two passages. In this first passage, we're going to look at two verses. Uh, This is Samuel talking to Saul. Samuel's a prophet. Saul is a king. Samuel said to Saul, verse 13, You have been foolish. You've not kept the command which the Lord your God gave you. It was at this time that the Lord would have permanently established your reign over Israel. But now your reign will not endure. The Lord has found a man loyal to him. That, that phrase loyal to him, is, it's, it's a good interpretation. It's an accurate interpretation. Uh, there's a little more common interpretation that I like even a little bit better. I bet some of your translations say it. The Lord has found somebody after his own heart. The, the Lord has found a man after God's own heart. And the Lord has appointed him as ruler over his people. Because you've not done what the Lord commanded. Okay, now let's jump ahead. Samuel's just told Saul, God's going to appoint somebody new. Let's go to chapter 16 and see what happens. The the person is unnamed at this point. But in chapter 16, we're going to see this happen. Now, somewhere between chapter 13 and chapter 16, God has led Samuel, spoken to Samuel, and Samuel knows the town to go to. Samuel knows the family to go to. So he's entered this home and family. He knows somebody in here is the one. And, and so Jesse brings his first son before Samuel to see if this is the one. And that's where we pick up in verse 6. It says, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and said, certainly the, the Lord's anointed one is here before him. Now, I don't, I don't know what Eliab looked like, but obviously there was something in his appearance, his stature that, that you know, Samuel said, man, the guy just looks like a king. He, he just looks like somebody people would follow. Verse 7, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or his stature because I have rejected him. Man does not see what the Lord sees. For man sees what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. Jesse called Abinadab, this is son number two, and presented him to Samuel. The Lord hasn't chosen this one either, Samuel said. Then Jesse presented Shema, but Samuel said, no, the Lord hadn't chosen this one either. After Jesse presented seven of his sons to him, Samuel told Jesse, uh, the Lord hasn't chosen any of these. Samuel asked him, is this it? Is these all the sons you have? I mean, you know, think about it. Samuel's entered this town. He's entered this home. He knows that one of his sons is it. Now he's had seven sons and none of them's it. He, he's looking around. There's no more sons left. What, what, what do we do? And, and Jesse says, oh, well, there's the run of the litter. There's the son I almost forgot I even had. There's the son I didn't even bring in here to meet you. He's out taking care of the sheep. Look what Samuel says. We're not eating until he's here. And nobody's sitting down, nobody's doing anything. And that's where we pick up then again in verse 12. So Jesse sent for him. He had beautiful eyes. Your translation may say ruddy. You you see that word translated a couple of different ways. It's a difficult word in the Hebrew language to translate. A lot of times it's translated that word ruddy has the idea or the the idea of kind of light skin, freckles, red hair. (laughs) It is what it is. He looks like me. I... What the scripture says, right? Well, yeah, see, in the, you see the rest of the description, healthy and handsome. So clearly, if you want to know what David looks like, uh, you're, you're, you're in luck today. So, 
Uh, then the Lord said to him, anoint him for he is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and he, he did just that. He anointed him. Man, two, I say two stories, they kind of go hand in hand. One, one turns to the other where we get a very profound idea, real simple thought, but yet a very profound idea. Now, let, let's think about what we saw in verse 13 and 14. Samuel comes to Saul. Now, Samuel, Samuel's kind of a bridge. He, he is a prophet, but he also acts somewhat in the role of a judge. Now, you remember, we go way, a little bit further back into Israelite history. When they came out of Israel, I mean, when they came out of Egypt, they were being led by who? Yeah, it's not a trick question, folks. Starts with an M, ends with an S. And we, got, we got him, right? Moses, remember the flannel graph we did as we were kids? Moses, yeah. Moses led them out. After Moses died, he had turned the reins over to Joshua. And then after Joshua, you have a series of leaders for several hundred years, which, which they called judges at that time. And Samuel is kind of the end of that. Sa Samuel's the end of the judges. He plays more the role of a prophet, but he is a leader of the country. He's acting kind of in that role of judge. And he's the one that anoints the first king, the current king, Saul. So while Saul is the king, Samuel still, he's still got a little bit of the bully pulpit. So, you know, he, he, he comes into Saul's life and he says, man, we got a problem here. He says, do you realize what God wanted to be for you? Do you realize what God wanted to do in your life? He wanted to permanently establish your reign. Now, folks, just a little time out here real quick, a little side note. God wants to bless. That's, that's who he is. It's what he does. God loves to be good. God loves to do good in your life and in my life. That's his desire. That's his plan. That's his will. Now, God does things that we don't consider good. For instance, God allows certain trials into our life at times. Very few of us consider a trial to be a good thing or do we consider God to be very good when that's happening. But God only allows into our lives what he can use as we submit to him what he can use for good in our lives. So it is goodness that drives that. God disciplines sin. We don't usually think that's very good either. But what does the scripture teach us? God disciplines those whom he what? He loves. It's goodness. It's love that drives that when God disciplines. And even then, folks, the scripture says God takes no pleasure in judgment. He takes no pleasure in punishment. His pleasure is to do good. And man, he, Samuel says, Saul, man, God wanted to permanently establish you. He wanted this permanently to be a great thing in your life. But, I mean, in, in contrast to what God wanted to do, obviously we're in a little bit different place. Something's wrong. Something's thrown the plan off kilter. Well, what is it? What, what, what would keep the good and that God wants to be and do in my life from happening? Well, we see it there. Samuel says it twice to him, once in verse 13, once in verse 14. You, you're not doing what the Lord commanded. You're, you're disobedient. Folks, disobedience will short-circuit the good that God wants to be and to do in your life. Disobedience. And then, gosh, to go a little bit further, Samuel says, and Saul, God's done. I mean, this isn't a one-time thing. This isn't a little thing. It's been an ongoing character quality growing in his life. And Samuel says, that's it, Saul. You know, God's moved in another direction. He's now found a man after his own heart. Isn't that a great phrase? A man after God's heart. I mean, I just can't help but believe if you're, a, if you're a follower of Christ, if you're a genuine believer in Jesus, you see a phrase like that and you think, oh my, let it be true of me, God. Man, Lord, that my life could be described, that that would be characteristic of me, that, that I would be a, a man after God's own heart. 
Gosh, don't we want that to be true of us? Now, we have to ask then the question, well, what does that mean? What does it mean to be a man after God's own heart? What does it look like to be a man after God's own heart? Well, I think we have a little bit of clue in this passage. We've got two people that are being held in contrast. There's Saul, and he's being defined, he's being described as disobedient. And then there's this unnamed person that God's about to anoint that's a man after God's own heart. Well, if they're being set up in contrast to each other, if this guy is being described as disobedient, then could we say that a man after God's own heart is one that is obedient? Could we say that to have a heart after God is to have a heart that obeys God? You know, when we think of the heart, don't we think of love? When we talk about the heart, we talk about matters of the heart. In a couple of weeks, we're all going to be sending cards to everybody to express our love. And every one of them is going to have a heart on it, isn't it? I'm talking about Valentine's. I know you're kind of struggling this morning. Valentine's Day, you got it? Yeah, we're going to be there. Yeah, a heart. When we talk about heart, we see heart. We think of love. So could we go a step further and say that to love God, to have a heart after God that loves Him, is expressed, is demonstrated, is shown in obedience? Can we connect love and obedience like that? Is that what God is doing here? You know, I think Jesus answers that question for us. He's a pretty good source of information, isn't he? Look what he says in John 14, 16. He says, if you love me, if you love me, you're going to keep my commandments. If you love me, you're going to keep my commandments. If you love me, you're going to obey me. You know, folks, generally speaking, everything we do in life is motivated by, motivated by one of two things. Either we're trying to escape punishment or we're trying to get reward. I mean, there's something about humanity that we're... I guarantee you, everything you do this week is under one of these two columns. And for the most part, we're not either or. We tend, most of us tend to land in one column. We're doing a lot of things to escape judgment, to escape punishment, guilt, failure. We're, we're trying to escape somebody catching us, somebody learning about us, somebody seeing us for what we are. We, we are motivated, we are driven to not get caught, to not get punished. Others are motivated more by the, you know, the reward and the blessing. And boy, we're working hard and we're doing all this because it means more. It means blessing. And folks, there's even an element of that in religion. There's an element of that in Scripture. There's an element of that in the way that God works with us. I mean, don't we on the one hand have heaven, the reward? On the other hand, hell, the punishment. We have blessing, we have cursing. But do you see what Jesus is saying to us in that simple verse? It's not a new thing that he's saying, by the way. God's been saying it since Genesis chapter 1. He says, I want you to obey me. But I don't want you to obey me because you're trying to escape hell. I don't want you to obey me just because you're trying to get more of my dad's goodies. I want you to obey because you love. I want you to forgive that person because you love me. I want you to give and serve because you love me. I want you to tell the truth because you love me. Love is to be the drive, not the fear of failure or punishment, not the desire for reward, but love for God. Love for God. And do we love God? That's kind of an easy question in a room like this, isn't it? I mean, I bet if we did a poll, do you love God? Run the room. I mean, gosh, we'd be 95, 98%, wouldn't we? Yes, 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 I love God. Yes, I love God. Yes, I love God. But what if there was a follow-up question to that? Not just do you love God, but what if the follow-up question was, what would you point to in your life 
that would give evidence of that love? What would you say right, right there? there? There's where I'm loving God. Look, at that was a good moment right there. What would you point to? Maybe you'd say, well, you know, when I, I, I woke up this morning and I prayed and, and, and when I was praying, I said, I love you, God. I love you, Jesus. I did that. Yeah, that's real. Yeah, you, uh, God, you know, I woke up and I told you I loved you. You know, hey, I came to church today and, and in church I was singing songs and in those songs they express love for God. So I told God I love him in prayer and I, and I sang songs to God that said I love him. Yeah, that, that's all a part of it. I mean, if you love God, those, those kinds of things are going to happen. But do we leave it at that? Have we gotten real good at, at verbally expressing love, but then when we go out and we live life, we're not really connecting that my life is an opportunity to say I love you. As a matter of fact, let me say that differently. It's more than that my life is an opportunity to say I love you. Folks, it's my life that gives meaning to the words I love you in prayer. It's my life that gives genuineness to the words I sing in song. I think we have a tendency, don't we, to kind of leave love over here in this real subjective thing. You know, it's warm feelings. It's expressing it. But I think what Jesus is doing in this passage, he's trying to move it a little bit more concrete than that. And he's saying, hey, there needs to be a connection between your expressions of love, your expressions of faith, and how that actually lands in everyday life. If you love me, you're going to obey me. Do you ever wonder how much obedience does it take? I mean, when can I be described as an obedient person? Because we're all disobedient, aren't we? <laughs> yes, the answer. <laughs> yeah, we've all got some places, some issues, some, some things where we've been disobedient. So can I be described as obedient? I can say, God, I love you, and it's genuine when I'm 80% obedient and only, or, and only 20% disobedient. Is that good? Maybe I catch God on the right day and I can bargain him down to 60 40 51-49, God? How much obedience does it take to be described as obedient? You know what? There's no percentage in Scripture. There, there's no line. There's no tipping point. Okay, now you're obedient. The issue is not how much obedience or disobedience there is. The issue is if your heart is really for God, if you really love Him, you can't stop thinking about where you can be more obedient how you can grow in that obedience, how you can take on new areas of obedience. You want to be obedient. You're not trying to figure out the tipping point where I get blessed. You're trying to figure out, is there another way I can say I love you? Is there another place I can say it even better? A heart for God is a heart that is going to obey God. Now let's look at the, the, the second story there. Look, look at chapter 16. Man, verse 7, what, a, what an incredible verse. What a powerful verse. Again, Samuel's physically looking at these people coming before him. And he, he says there in verse 7, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or his stature, because I've rejected him. Man does not see what the Lord sees, for man sees what is visible. The Lord sees the heart. Isn't that kind of what we were talking about at the beginning of the message? When I think about what would make my life better, what would fix my life, what would make me happy, what would make me secure, folks, I'm going to tell you nine times out of ten, we're thinking about out there. We're thinking about the visible. If I could just change the appearance, if I could just change the stature, if I could just change the person. But it says there, that's not what God's measuring. And folks, that's not to say 
that your life could be significantly happier and significantly better if that person or that situation changed. I'm not saying something out there doesn't need to change. We're talking about the starting point. God says, man, if you want to get to the life, you want to get to the heart of the matter, no pun intended, it's not out there. We need to be talking about what's going on in here. This is what God's measuring. This is what God is looking at. It says God's looking at the heart. And what did we just learn about the heart? A heart that is for God is a heart that obeys God. God's looking at obedience. God's measuring that. Folks, I would like to suggest to you that the most profound step you could take in 2012, and again, let's be honest, it's really not about a calendar year, is it? It's about life. The single most profound step you could take in your life is any step you take where you're moving and developing a heart for God, any move that you're taking where you're developing obedience in your life. Obedience works. Man, obedience removes stress. Obedience removes fear. Obedience always, mark it down, you get your money back on this one. Obedience 100% of the time makes good financial decisions. 100% of the time. And look at this next statement, folks. Obedience can navigate a great marriage. That's what we want. But some of us have just a tad less than that. We're, we're a rung under a great marriage. And maybe that's what we're struggling with today. But folks, obedience helps you navigate that one too. And by the way, you take the word marriage out. Put in any word you want there. Obedience will help you navigate a good job. Obedience will help you navigate a bad job. Obedience will help you navigate a good decision. Obedience will help you navigate a bad decision. Do you see? Now, folks, if you, if you get that line, you start to understand why out there is not what needs to be fixed. And if I'm walking in obedience, I can navigate anything out there. And every bit of it becomes a way that I can loudly and profoundly say, God, I love you. I love you and I'm I'm forgiving to show you that. I'm, I'm sacrificing to show you that. I'm enduring to show you that. Obedience will help you navigate any of that. Obedience will give you a life of stability. Obedience gives you a life of security. Folks, that's a lot of good that comes with obedience. Ah, but did you hear the words of Jesus? I don't want you obeying because of being afraid to get punished, and I don't, want you to be af- I don't want you to obey because of all that comes with it. I want you to obey because you love me. I want the relationship between you and me to be the, the driving force in this. Now, I'd like to think a lot of us right now are sitting here thinking, yeah, man, that's what I want. Yeah, I want to have a heart for God. Man, yeah, I, 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 I want to obey. Where do I start? What do I do? Oh, it's all right here. What? <laughs> I mean, there's a lot there. I mean, how do you get started with something? There's a lot there. You know what? I'd like to give you three things. Yeah, I mean, there is a top ten list. It's pretty good. You ought to look at it. But I want to give you three things that I think Scripture identifies as priorities that will grow a heart for God, that will build a life of obedience. Now, I want to separate out number one first, and then we're going to come back and look at it again in, in another passage. But I do believe that Jesus clearly defines for us the first step of what obedience looks like. Look at what this passage says. This is John chapter 6, verse 29 and 40. Notice that first phrase, this is the work of God. Then look at the second line, this is my Father's will. I mean, this is it, folks. This is the big one. You want to obey? This is the work God wants you to do. This is the will. This is what God wants you to be and do. What is it? This is the work of God, that you believe in the one he has sent. 
Do you know why that's the first and most important step of obedience? Because no matter how obedient you are, you still have disobedience, don't you? No matter how many things you obey, no matter how much obedience there is in your life, you're still disobedient. That's got to get corrected. Boy, we sang some awesome songs, didn't we, about the holiness of God? Folks, you and I don't get to go traipsing into the holiness of God carrying our sin and filth. It's not going to happen. Something radically has to change to clean us up so that we can enter His presence holy. Only the work and belief of Jesus Christ does that. So Jesus says, this is, this is my work for you. Believe in my Son. This is my will that everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him may have eternal life and I will raise Him up on the last day. God is saying, man, I want you to come into a relationship with me and not just till you die. I want you to be in a relationship with me forever. Forever, that's the big thing. That's the exciting thing. This is the first step of obedience to come to faith in Christ. Now let me show you another passage that's going to give us three really big key areas to set up and establish our lives as a heart for God, to set up and establish our lives of one of obedience. It's in a passage, you probably wouldn't think that this is what it's saying and doing. We call this passage the Great Commission. It's about the church going out into the world and sharing the gospel. But folks, I think in this passage, as he sends the church, and of course the church is you, it's me, it's individuals, it's all of us together. He is sending us out to affect the world for eternity and we're to affect them the way we have been affected for eternity. This is, the, this is all you're doing in life. You do Matthew 28 at work, you do Matthew 28 in your marriage, you do Matthew 28 in parenting, you do Matthew 28 when you're alone, you do Matthew 28 with yours and strangers. And, and in a, this is your life right here, obediently. And what do we see in this? All of Jesus, Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples. That's number one, isn't it? Go out there and lead people into a relationship with Jesus. Go out there and bring them into faith in Christ. Number one. Number two, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Do you see in this passage the great charge of God on the church, how central baptism is? We are to be baptized, and we're not baptized because our parents make that decision for us. We're not baptized because our friends were doing it, or we're going along with the flow, or we reached a certain age, and so the church said, go to a class, and when you're done with the class, you're baptized. The Scripture doesn't show us anything like that. You're baptized when you yourself make your own personal decision to do number one, come to faith in Christ. Some of us in here today, that's the steps we need to take. I, I need to come to faith in Christ. I need to be baptized. Man, if you've got any questions about baptism, email me. I'd love to share with you a document. Not what I believe. Not what Southern Baptists believe. I mean, there's just very little that's more irrelevant than what I believe or what Southern Baptists believe to your life. What's very relevant to your life is what the Word of God teaches. And that's what I'd try to share with you. This is what God's Word says. Don't listen to what, what you grew up understanding, what you grew up with. Look at what God's Word says and you determine for yourself. When is a person supposed to be baptized and how are they supposed to be baptized? And folks, if we're not following the very simple, clear instruction that Scripture gives, then we haven't taken care of number two. We're in disobedience. What does the rest of Jesus say? Baptize them, then teach them to observe everything I have commanded you. So let's look at these three things. Go to the next screen. Three steps to growing a heart for God. Number one, come to Christ. Number two, be baptized in Christ. Number three, grow in all that He taught. Now you look at that list, folks. Number one and two, that's a moment in time, isn't it? 
That's an event that just boom, boom, it's happened and and it's done. That that, that one and two happened for me in May of 1982. Gosh, I guess that means this may be 30 years ago. 30 years ago, I took care of number one. And I don't remember the exact timing, a couple days later, a week later, I don't know. But then, then number two got taken care of. So, and, and that's the way it is for all of us, isn't it? There's number one, there's number two. Boom, they're done. But then we step into number three, and that's where we live the rest of our lives. That's, that's where I've lived for 30 years now. I've lived trying to be inside of number three, growing in all that Christ has taught for the purpose of obeying. You know, folks, I'd like to, to, to suggest today that there's two kinds of disobedience. There's one kind that we probably all think of when we think of disobedience. The Bible says not to lie, and, and, and we lied. The Bible says to be pure in our thoughts, and, and we weren't. The Bible says to be kind, and, and we lashed out in anger. We, we, we learned something that the Bible taught. We knew what we were supposed to, and we didn't do it. For whatever the reason, we didn't do it. That's disobedience. That's what a lot of us think of, right? But I'd like to suggest that in what Jesus is saying here, there's another kind of disobedience. And folks, I think a lot, a lot of believers are very guilty of this. You know, the the Christian life's not rocket science. This isn't something that has to be torn apart and figured out and put back together and have somebody else come and look at it and explain it. I mean, there's really some very simple ideas there. And I think a lot of us as believers, we learn the Christian life. Now, whatever that phrase means to you. The do's, the don'ts, you know, what I'm supposed to be about, what's supposed to be important to me. What's, and so I, I come to church and I look at people around me and I, I look at what seems to be important to them and what they're trying to do and not do. And okay, okay, I got that. And, and then I got a couple of years of Bible study and I'm learning and okay, I got that. And it doesn't take us long. Six months, two couple years and pretty soon, okay, this is what it means to live the Christian life. And folks, I really believe from that point on, a lot of believers put it into cruise control. I mean, we might sit in church, we might listen to a sermon or go to a Bible study, but we just stop growing. Okay, I've got to clean my life up. I've got to bring it into this box right here. Okay, this is what the box looks like. I've been here for six months. I've been here for two years. This is what the box looks like. Okay, I'm in the box, and then that's it. Folks, obedience. Hey, I always want to obey more. Folks, our, our work, our opportunity, what we are to be about is constantly yearning, constantly wanting to learn more and more and more of what God teaches about my, about my marriage, about my finances, about my thoughts, my relationships, work, and, and everything else in life. And, and I'm wanting to learn not because I'm disobedient and defying God in that area. No, I might have some of the bases covered. But could I go deeper? Is there more to learn here? Is there more to understand about about loving her, about serving them, about forgiving them? Is there more to understand, God? Can I dig deeper here? Can I trust you more? Can I go further in this? Not because I'm trying to escape hell. Not because I'm trying to earn my way into God's presence, but because I love him. And because I'm so in love with them, I want to go deeper. I want to go further. I want to learn more. I'm never satisfied. Oh, I think I've got it covered. I I said I love you last week. That's good enough. No, I want more and more and more of my life in every single thing I'm doing. Folks, do you realize there's not a single second that you've lived life that God hasn't spoken to? And you and I live a lot of seconds without thinking one thing about what God thinks about that second, don't we? You're not in a relationship. You're not in a decision. 
you're not in a situation where God's word does not have a will and guidance for that. Are you growing in that? Are you, are you learning in that? Are you developing a pursuit of how in every single one of these things I'm learning to say I love you? Folks, that a heart, a heart for God is a heart that is going to love him and a heart that loves him wants to obey him even more and more and more. You know, the Hebrew word for obedience literally means to strain to hear. To strain to hear. How does that mean obedience? Because in the Hebrew word, all the way back to Genesis 1, obedience is based on love. And when you love somebody, you don't want to miss what they said. You don't want to miss anything that's important to them, anything that's of value to them. You love them. You want to get it. You want to hear it so that you can live it and express that love. Man, a lot of us have entered a time of prayer and fasting and we're, we're seeking God's voice and leadership. I don't know about you and not necessarily right now, but in the past, I, I know I have. I, can, I have to say that. I have to confess this. I have at times in my life, I've gotten God's voice. I've gotten God's leadership. And you know what? I disobeyed it. I, I ignored it. Didn't like it. Didn't have the faith to trust it. What a travesty that you and I would spend a week, two weeks, any amount of time, a day, praying and fasting, seeking God's voice, and then ignore it and disobey it. And how important during this time that as we're, we're seeking God's voice and leadership, that along with that prayer, there is a desire, a commitment. God, I'm going to obey what I hear. I'm going to respond to what I hear. I'm going to move in light of what I hear. I want my life to say I love you. And clearly when you've spoken, that's a place where my life can say I love you. Man, let's use this time. God, are there, are there areas in my life where I'm disobeying? I, I, I'm disobeying something I've known, something I've learned, and I've just gotten so used to justifying it. I've gotten so used to I I ignoring that as sin that I've grown cold. I don't even recognize it. God, is there something I need to be reconvicted about? God, if there's sin in my life that I'm not acknowledging, would you make me miserable until I do? That's a big prayer, isn't it? Here's a huge question. Do you trust your God enough to say, God, make me miserable until I again recognize that as disobedience and sin because I don't want anything in my life to not clearly communicate how much I love you? Or maybe what we need to be praying is, hey, God... Have I settled at my own standard and definition of obedience? Well, obedience is doing one, two, three, four, and I got that covered. Have I settled at my standard and, and my idea of definition? God, have, have I given up learning and growing and striving and clawing and digging to get the very most so that even better I can say I love you? We're going to conclude the service now, folks, and in a time of invitation... And as I said a moment ago, most of us in this room, we're living life in number three, aren't we? And, and so when we stand and sing in a moment, maybe even as we're singing out loud in our heart, a prayer is beginning that's gonna, it's gonna start now, but it's gonna go on through the afternoon. We're gonna, we're gonna pray it throughout this week. Lord, what does a step of obedience look like for me? God, I, I wanna show you how much I love you. Is there a place where you would really feel that? Is there a place where if I responded, if I acted, if I changed, if I grew up, it would really, you'd really feel loved. God, show me that place. And so this time of invitation, this time of dedication is for all of us. 
God, I want my life to say I love you this week. Would you show me where I can best communicate that? And then there's others of us in this room that we're not ready to come to number three. We need to take care of a number one or a number two. Your step of faith, your step of obedience would be to, to come forward and tell one of these pastors, hey, I want to I talk about having a relationship with Jesus. By the way, folks, coming forward is not the relationship with Christ, but coming forward is that opportunity to publicly profess, I want to belong to Christ. I want to talk to somebody. I want to make it, make it official. I want to make it real. I want to have somebody pray with me, make sure I understand this. We'll have pastors down here to help you do that. Maybe you're here and you're thinking, I wonder what's he talking about all that baptism stuff? I don't know if I understand that. I don't know if I agree with that. You know what? If you don't, hey, email me. Let's work that out. But even if you're sitting here today and you're thinking, I don't know if I want to wait to email. I think that might be something I need to take care of. I want to get on to number three, but I think I need to take care of number two. This time and moment is for you also. Come forward to one of these pastors. Hey, I made a decision for Christ years ago, but I think I need to be baptized. I think I need to follow Jesus in the way he was baptized. We can help you with that decision. Maybe you know that a step for obedience for you today is to come into fellowship with the local body of Christ, His church, and you believe God's leading you here. Folks, here's my challenge for you today. Whether you're praying there in your seat as you sing and thinking about number three or whether you know you need to take on one or two, why would we walk out that door in disobedience? If I walk out of here saying, God, I'm not going to do it, then what can I possibly pray about for the rest of this week and ask God's blessing and guidance and direction and protection and help when I've said I'm not going to obey? Man, let's not walk out that door in obedience. Ask God what you should do right now. Ask Him if you're to come to faith in Him. Ask Him, not me. Ask Him if you're to be baptized. Ask Him if you're to join this church. Ask Him what you're to be praying about and growing in obedience in your life.